Every once in a while I mention how important it is to pay close attention to the songs that we sing and to sing them from our heart in worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that song says, My heart sings this song again, Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. He's here today, and He looketh upon the heart. And if you sang praises to Him, and you truly worshipped Him in song, He received that, and He'll bless your life because of it. And also, I want to—I say this every once in a while too. I appreciate, I appreciate the youth who are singing those songs, and they don't have to look at their book. They know them. There's a whole row of them right here. We're just letting her go. Some up in the balcony, just letting her go. That's special. It's really special. And some back there in the back, letting them go. I was watching my granddaughter sing. And she'd look up at me and smile. Now that's my granddaughter. I put her on the shelf and every time she smiles at me, I climb up there myself. <laughs> Do you like my little poem? Now, I've been really blessed with grandchildren. I got five of them. And I don't care who knows it. I love them things. And if I'd have known they was going to be that much fun, I told Sue one time we'd have had them first. And... Uh, but I appreciate my grandchildren. <clears throat> they can't all be here all the time. But they're here when they can and I enjoy their company. This morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to do, but God, number 8. But God, number eight. And this one has been a really exciting one to me. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> a couple of our men uh, told me, said, Preacher, now, if you don't have your voice back, we'll take care of things for you. Isn't that nice? That's neat to have men. They don't claim to be preachers, but they don't care to get up and share things that impress them in, in the Scriptures. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we're so, we're so blessed. You can tell a blessed church, and ladies, I, I don't mean to leave you out, but men take the spiritual lead, that's what the Bible says, and when you have men in the church that are spiritual, you know that God's hand is on the church. That's a fact, and I appreciate them so much. But they told me that, we'll take care of it if you can't do it. So I thought, well, maybe it might be best if I just let one of them take the morning worship and uh, save my voice. And uh, so I kept looking at this text, and the more I looked, the more I thought, no, if I have to do it whispering in the mic, I'm going to do it because I can't stand not to. It's just so good. That's the way all of God's Word is. It's just good that way. It's good, and we love it. We love to be in the presence of it. We love to be in the presence of others who love to be in the presence of it. Amen? That's just the way we are. So from 1 Corinthians and chapter 
number one. Chapter number one. I'm going to start reading in verse 26, and I'll read through verse 29 to begin with. And it says in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren. Huh. Isn't that neat? That a relationship with Jesus Christ is a calling. Did you know that? It sure is. It's a calling. If there's no calling, there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. That's so clearly taught in the Word of God. For you see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty men after the flesh. Not many noble men after the flesh are called. What makes up Christianity? The answer is those who are called. That's what the Bible says. Then here it is in verse 27. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak, and I'm adding things of the world, but all of it's together, to confound the things which are, are, are let me back up, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And then verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There are people who have attitudes that are not going to be a part of Christ's kingdom. Simple, plain and simple. I've always said this. Every truly saved person will be a humble person. Always. Always a humble person. Among God's true children, you won't find any that are boasting about their good works that's going to get them to heaven. Yet we got a world full of people who actually do that. Actually do. And I know because I've debated so many of them over the years about how God saves a sinner. You know, we have a world full of people who profess to be part of Christianity that don't have a clue about how God saves the sinner. I have fun, I have over the years, saying to people, do you know the Lord? Are you going to heaven when you die? Yes. What is the reason why you're going to heaven when you die? You'd be surprised at the answers I get when I ask that question. Some might say, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I'm living right. I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized. I'm going to heaven because this, that, or the other. And they say, well, how come you know you're going to heaven? I might sing them a little song. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. 
And the Bible says that in the book of Jeremiah, that he's loved me with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness has he drawn me. You can just mark it down, my friend. And I know there's a lot of people in this world that just don't agree with this preaching at all. And that's all right. You can just go through life disagreeing with truth, and one day you'll meet it when you stand before the Lord. You don't cancel out parts of the Word of God and get away with it. You just simply can't do it. You end up in ignorance is what you end up in by doing that. So, but God, but God hath chosen. Now, this, what, what he's saying here starts uh, back in the seven, <clears throat> 17th verse. And I want to back up there and read verse 17, and I want you to Listen to what it says. Because in verse 17 is the, great, the greatest blessing this world has ever, has ever had. The greatest blessing. And in that single verse is also the greatest evil that has ever been. Both of them are in that verse. And this is what sets up what Paul is saying here. Verse 17 says this, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, there are two things that are stated in that verse. One, it talks about what Paul's calling is, is to preach the gospel. And, and the gospel is called here the cross of Christ. That's what he's talking about. So this, this world has never been blessed so as it is with Christ coming into this world. And this time of year, we think a whole lot about that. That in the fullness of time, Jesus came into this world. He came for one single purpose. He came to live and to teach and to die, give himself, die on the cross of Calvary, shed his blood for the remission of sin and to uh, bring, acquire unto himself, as the Bible says, a peculiar people, a peculiar people. The word peculiar means a people loved and cherished by him, and it says that they would be zealous of good works. That's how you tell. That's how you tell. Who, who is it in our world that is really saved? Well, I can tell you for a fact, according to the Word of God, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, they are zealous of good works. There are a lot of people claim to be saved on their way to heaven and they don't have any zeal for the Lord or zeal for good works or whatever. So it's in this verse that, that, that Paul is setting up what he's about to say. The greatest blessing this world has ever received has been the gospel, uh, the preaching of the cross is what he's talking about here. Now, when he says that, it doesn't mean that, that the preaching of the gospel uh, is necessarily preaching of that instrument on which Jesus was crucified. That's what the cross is. It is an emblem. It's a representation. It is a representation of Christ's love for his people, his desire to take away the penalty of their sin and to free them from all the bondage that they're under in their fallen state and fallen condition. That's what is meant by the cross. It's meant that. We just sing about that. I cherish the old rugged cross. Not that we would cherish the cross 
the instrument, the two pieces of wood, uh, like where Jesus was crucified, but we cherish what that stands for. We cherish what that represents. It is a cross. And there are lots of people in this world who worship relics and have work, and actually sometimes I don't know for sure because I don't know what's in their heart, but even worship the cross, they'll wear them on their chest and they'll, they'll I've, I stopped at a uh, rest area one time traveling down the interstate and there was a big statue and cross on the dashboard of a car if a state police had seen that they'd have stopped them and made them remove it because how could they see where they were going and so down through time they've used the cross as more than just a symbol or representation but actually uh, in such a way as to worship them and I've been in all kinds of buildings down through the years all kinds of places where people meet to worship and sometimes I mean, it's just cluttered with uh, stuff and statues and things like that and crosses. And when we were building our building, I just uh, I said, if you all go along with it, we're not going to put any pictures up here. Uh, we're not, uh, we're, we believe the Bible teaches we shouldn't do that. The Bible teaches we shouldn't have any graven images of anything on the earth or anything in heaven. And so when you come in here, you don't see any pictures of Jesus or uh, what people think that he might have looked like or whatever. Nobody knows for sure. You're not going to see that as long as I'm around. You run me off and put all that stuff up if you want to, but I just don't believe in doing it. I don't believe in having those images of things. But when he talks about the cross... He's talking about the gospel and what the cross represents and what it means. And we do cherish that meaning. We cherish what that means. And so that's what he's saying here. Now, the world's greatest evil is also found in this verse. The world's greatest evil, uh, where it says this in verse 17, uh, he says to preach the gospel, uh, not with wisdom of words, Paul says, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. Now, I think the greatest evil, I believe the greatest gift was Christ coming to this world. But I believe the greatest evil is probably mentioned here in this verse. And that is ways of making the gospel of non-effect. How in the world could that ever be done? But I believe that it's done. I believe it's done all the time. I believe it's done everywhere to make it of non-effect. As we know, the, the gospel, is the grand mission of that is to deepen depravity and where it doesn't save. If it doesn't save, it deepens our, uh, uh, our hostility toward God or uh, our damnation actually is what it is. So uh, the greatest evil is to make it of none uh, effect. And it's expounded in our context. And as I share with you these uh, verses, I, I will following verse 17. You can follow me in your Bible. And, and we, are, we begin to see what he's talking about when he says that. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. What that means is God uses his word to touch the hearts of unbelievers and convict them of their need of a savior and draw them unto himself. That's what's taught in the Bible. That's how God uses 
uh, the Word of God. Now somebody might say, well, I'm, I'm not saved and I've been around preaching and it ain't never affected me none. Well, that may be so. But when God chooses to use it for that way, He does that. And so He says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now there's a lot of people right here in this community. They are not here today. They're not going to be here today. They don't want to be here today. Have no desire to be in the presence of the preaching of the gospel. And they won't say it, but they believe it's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is, we love that. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now there's a great contrast that is set out here in this passage of Scripture. And here's what it is, friend. It is the wisdom and the prudence of this world. It is the wisdom of the world, and it is the on the other side, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world. What does God think about the wisdom of the world? When you read this passage of Scripture, you discover that God is not fond of the wisdom of this world. Matter of fact, He will say here that the wisdom of this world is foolishness. Pure and simple. So isn't that awful that we live in a world that's got a lot of foolishness in it? You know, some of us were talking earlier before the church service. We were talking about uh, the... uh, And I'm not anti... Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not anti-education. We've got school teachers in our church and we appreciate them and we pray for them. Amen? We really do. We appreciate them. But not only do I know this, but they know it too. They know that, that the uh, that education of children, it has, it has been going stinking wrong for a long time. You say, preacher, what makes you say that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Any any education system would think that it's good and right to take little children uh, and teach them about uh, trans issues and sexuality and everything. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. We'll take care of that at home, amen? They're not supposed to be doing that. But they're doing it. And you say, well, what's causing it? Well, I want to tell you what's causing it. The wisdom of this world is what's doing it. The wisdom of this world is foolishness And that's just one illustration of that. And you all have heard me preach enough to know that I can give you a lot of illustrations about the foolishness that's going on in this world. The wisdom of this world don't have any common sense. That's a fact. The wisdom of this world has none. And all you have to do is listen to to some of them in Washington, D.C. shoot their mouth off about this issue and that issue and the other issue, and you'll come to the conclusion right quickly, if you're spiritual, you'll come to the conclusion, them people ain't got no sense. (laughs) That's just all there is to it. They don't have any sense. Uh, And, uh, well, I'm going to hush, because, man, I get carried away, and I'm afraid I'll offend somebody. I don't mean to offend anybody, but I want to tell you something. There's a lack of common sense in our world. And if you know the Lord, if you know the Lord, then I'll tell you what comes along with that. Understanding. It really will. And discernment. I'm getting ready to preach a sermon on discernment. Boy, that's what we need in our world. We need discernment. And so he says here uh, that it's foolishness to them that are unsaved and it's written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent 
That's what God's doing. He's doing it. He's not doing it in their experience, but He's doing it in ours, and we see it. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And I will say, yes, He has. He has actually done that. He's made it foolish. He's made it foolish. How did He do it? He did it by giving some people His own children the wisdom and the understanding to be able to see the difference between right and wrong, good and bad and ugly. That's what God has done. And if you know Him as your Savior this morning, I will tell you that you've been given something. You've been given L-I-G-H-T. It comes with the program. Understanding, being able to distinguish between that which is uh, good and that which is, well, just stupid, just to be honest with you. And so, uh, He's made foolish the wisdom of this world. And there, there's a lot of it like that. In verse 21, for after that, in the wisdom, uh, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now that's who they are. That's the category that are in the world. They think they're wise. They think they're smart. They think they can tell you what you ought to do and what you ought to do and all that. But I will tell you what, if they don't know the Lord, they ain't telling me nothing. Because God said they were foolish. That's what God says here in this passage. And, uh, and in verse... Uh, it says, for the world by wisdom knew not God, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And that's how God does it. God, God does that. That's why He has sent His Word, His Gospel out uh, into the world. The Great Commission. What is that? To preach the Gospel throughout all the world. And we try to do that. I'm not preaching just to a little group that are gathered here this morning. I thank God that He has led us to set our program up in such a way. I, I stand up here to preach and I don't have any idea how many people may be uh, listening and watching the worship service this morning. I can name several. I know. I can name several. They are always got the program uh, tuned in. And, and then, it, then not only that, but I'm surprised sometimes at how many downloads of our worship services all around the world. There'll be people in Russia and China and Afghanistan and all over the place will listen to this message this week. They'll listen to it. And uh, I thank God for that. So God has chosen that. And we believe that that is something we're commanded to do, to take the gospel. Then he says in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now this helps us to understand just a little bit how that the preaching of the cross could be made of none effect or less effect. Uh, Paul is talking, when he mentions the Greek here, and you can read when you get home uh, the 17th chapter of Acts, You'll discover that, you know, that this period of time when Paul was writing was following uh, the Greek Empire, the Grecians, when they ruled uh, all of the known world. Uh, Alexander the Great come along and he took all the known world. And so that's how the Greeks were in control. 
And those Greeks had this thing about being the smartest and the wisest and debating one another and things like that. And you can learn about that in the 17th chapter of Acts. That's what they liked to do. And so Paul's world was not any different from our world because we have people in our world who think they wax eloquent when they open their mouth to speak. And it may be a lot of foolishness. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it is. Just pure and simple, a lot of foolishness. He says the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. See who is the smartest of all. And in verse 23 he says, But we preach Christ crucified, and it is unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. This is what Emmanuel Baptist Church does. It presents Him crucified. That is the cross. That's preaching of the cross. Then I like this in verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you want to be wise? I can tell you how. You're wise if you know Jesus. I've said this oftentimes that uh, nobody ever really uh, was smart or no one is ever really educated until they're educated in the Word of God. I've known, I, I want to tell you something. One of the reasons why this touches my heart, and I'm not going to have time to share with you everything about this, uh, and I'll preach on it again next Sunday morning, uh, because one of the things that have impressed me in my life has been the common, everyday people who according to this world are not supposed to be smart, are not supposed to be wise and everything, and yet when you talk to them, and I've known so many of them down through the years, I, I got to pastor uh, one time in the, one of the most depressed areas uh, in our country, uh, deepest in the coal fields that you could ever get. And I could tell you stories, and some of them are listening to me this morning, they know that I know what I'm talking about when you'd have to drive miles and miles and miles and miles to find a Walmart. Now, boy, that's, that's back in the sticks, isn't it? Amen. And, uh, and those people just, you know, I, it just was unreal how poor some of those people were. There wasn't nothing, no work at all except in the coal fields. And uh, a lot of times there wasn't enough of that for them and everything, and they would be so, uh, according to the world, so unwise and everything. But folks, I want to tell you something. You get them to talking about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He meant to them. I'm serious. It would just absolutely bless your heart. I remember one man one time, he had cancer, and he had to go back and forth uh, to get his treatments and things. And so I volunteered. I volunteered to take him a few times. Some of you knew him. He was Jerry's grandpa. And I would take him. And of course, driving and riding in the car, we had all kinds of time to think, to talk and everything. And you know, you, you might not think he was a very wise man. But boy, when he got to talking, he would tell me what 
what the Lord meant to him, how he come to know Jesus as his personal Savior. And I got to tell you something, the wisdom would pour out of his mouth. He wasn't an educated man, but I tell you what, the Lord had educated him. The Lord, and that's the way it is. That's the way he does. It's the way he saves his people. But to them that are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the wisdom of God is strong, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, I, I never got into the heart of this passage of Scripture this morning because I wanted to point out here the greatest blessing this world has ever received has been the gospel of the cross. That's been the greatest blessing the world has ever It's the only hope this world's got. At this time of year, we talk about Christ coming into the world. Not only was He born into the world, but He lived His life and taught, and then He went to the cross of Calvary. And you know, one of these days, that's all going to come to an end. It'll stop. There'll be no more. Be no more. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they was talking in, in, out in, on the highway, and talking about how crowded the road was, and all the traffic and everything. And I made the remark, one of these days, that'll stop. Can you imagine that? Just one of these days, it's going to stop. There was a song written about, about that very, very thing. Things that would stop going on. They just wouldn't go on no more. And that's the way it's going to be. One of these days. And it, folks, I want to tell you something. It sure might not be very long before that happens. One of these days, it'll stop. And when it stops, I'll tell you this morning, the only thing that's going to matter is whether or not you know the Lord as your personal Savior. And whether you hear Him say, well done, or hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, how important that is. How important it is. I'm, I'm living my life. I've known the Lord for, I don't know, 57, 58 years or something like that. And you say, well, preacher, surely after all that time it would get old to you. No, no, it's better every day. Better every day. I told somebody the other day, if the Lord don't hurry up and come back, somebody's going to have to tie my mule, hold my mule, because I'm going to throw a fit. <laughs> i tell you what, it just gets better all the time. Better all the time. Now what this says, and you'll have to be here next Sunday morning because I will share the heart of this, is that all of this stuff going on and everything, we might think, you know, and people do, they think, well, you know, the Lord has thrown it out there, and you know He has to, he has to accept, He has to receive, just whatever comes along, the proud, the wise, as far as the world is concerned, and stuff like that. But that's not what this text says. The text breaks in and says, but God hath chosen... One of these days, throughout all eternity, that group that will be there will be those that He has chosen. There are two words in this context. And I'd like for you to just read it over and over and over for uh, several times just to see what's in that. But there are two words that are there. One is, you see your calling And the other is, not many are chosen. Calling and chosen are both in that text. 
And you know who's in charge of that? My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We say, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet people will turn around and say in, a, in the same breath that He has to accept whatever comes along. No, He does not. He does not. He is putting together a remnant that He will enjoy their presence forever and forever and forever and forever one day in glory. That's what's happening. That's what's going on. And so we live in a world where a lot of people claim a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they sure don't act like some of the scriptures that are found in the Bible. Folks, this morning what I want to do, I want to invite you, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, if you're thinking in your mind, I know that's going to happen one day, preacher. I know that one day it's all going to stop happening. And it's only be one thing that'll matter. And, and, and it's true. It's right. If you're here this morning and God has spoken to your heart and said to you, you need to be ready because Jesus is coming back. He came once. We're celebrating that this time of year. But I thank God that He's coming back again. He'll be here and He'll claim His own. He'll claim those He's been calling out of this world all along. And He's the one in charge of that. He is the one in charge. You say, well, how would I know if He's calling me? You know He's calling you the same way I did. Many, many years ago, I began to be convicted of my condition. I began to be convicted of my lost state. I didn't want to die like that. Oh, I remember how serious I was about that. I didn't want to die that way. And I remember the night that we went to church, meeting going on in our church, that I just, I, I had prayed, Lord, I'm, I'm going to confess my faith in you tonight. And I never will forget running up that aisle, taking that preacher by the hand, and making my profession of faith. My life been changed ever since. It didn't change as fast as I wish it had now looking back on it. Sometimes we're kind of slow in things, but I know that God has saved me. I know I'm not worthy of that. I know I don't deserve that. I know that there's nothing good in me. I know that I'm like a worm. I'm like the dust. I'm just nothing without Jesus. If you don't have him this morning, I please I invite you to come and make a profession of faith. If he's speaking to your heart, those that are listening by way of social media, you can just, after the service, if God is speaking to you like that, you can kneel down anywhere you are and, re and repent of your sin and receive Christ as your personal Savior. Then you get yourself into a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching, Bible-living church and make a public profession of that faith and follow Him in baptism and serve the Lord as long as He gives you breath. Father, we thank and praise You for the gospel of the cross. Thank You, Father, that You have given somebody so unworthy as I am the opportunity <coughs> to proclaim it and to, and to preach it. Oh, thank You for a people, Lord, that I can preach to that appreciate it and, Lord, that love it. And I, I just thank you for them and I thank you for the opportunity. What a wonderful opportunity it is.
And I pray you'd speak to all our hearts this morning and help us to weigh whether or not we're a part of that number. And Lord, to make sure, make absolutely sure for the incomes. Now, bless us as we sing this closing number. We'll give you the praise for whatever results you choose to bring about. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen.